Welcome to Travel Stories with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim. This week, we talk about cruising. How are you, Tom? I'm really good. Happy to be talking about one of my uh, more recent uh, fascinations or obsessions, I guess. An obsession is right, Tom. You've spent, what, two months at sea this year so far. That is a correct statement. You, sir, might be an honorary member of the Korean Navy. If they'll have me. I don't know. (laughs) We can certainly try for that one. I'm really excited to talk about cruising. I think this is a really interesting topic. And when this episode comes out, I think it's going to be especially timely, both from the perspective of planning going forward, but also timely in that a year ago, when we looked at cruising, it was a completely different picture. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that statement. You know, cruising has has pretty much it almost is unrecognizable from the state that it was in in uh, December of uh, 2021. Yeah. So, Tom, you had seen this. You you sort of played the Gretzky approach of skating where the puck was going to be, not necessarily where it was. Things look grim for cruising this time of year, just 365 days ago, December January timeframe. I did consciously make a decision around that time. I was like, you know what? This is probably a once in a lifetime type of situation where you can cruise on a cruise ship that is less than half full. And that will probably not happen again anytime soon. It's exactly right. I mean, it's one of those ironies of the time we're living in, right? We've talked about other trips. We've talked about other experiences where, you know, it it has truly been one once in a lifetime type trip after another following the pandemic. I fear that you know, those times are starting to end, but I would offer fear not, you know, we'll talk about some of the just crazy opportunities this year. Some will be replicatable, some won't, but the reality of the matter is, is even if you can't replicate everything, this is the time now I I would offer to plan for, you know, cruising as we get into 2023. Tom, you know the the cruising season better than I do. What is really that kind of you know most popular time to to get out to sea? So I think there's what they call like wave season, and and um, uh, I'm I'm gonna not 100 know exactly what the the bookends are, like when it starts and when it ends. But I'm gonna go and say it's you know kind of late fall to early spring, and this is when most of the boats or the ships for the cruise industry kind of move to the Caribbean. So there's a lot a lot of boats. Sailing the Caribbean at right now, this time of year, December, January, February. And, you know, after the holidays, it's actually kind of a, a lull period where you can get some really good deals. Uh, even with cruising being back with a vengeance, I think there's still a lot of good values out there. And, you know, I think that a lot of people are moving to cruises for a lot of reasons. And one of them is it's really economical. I mean, as you know, we both know because, you know, we we follow, you know, prices for airfare and hotels. You know, airfare and hotels are incredibly expensive, making pushing the cost of your traditional vacations up. You really haven't seen, even though the the ships are more full, you really haven't seen the prices for cruising go up that much yet. I think they're still trying to uh, capture the, the customer, capture the kind of wallet share of travel out there. And it's still, I think, some good opportunities, especially as, uh, you know, you get this period in January, February, March uh, for cruising. Yeah, yeah. The interesting thing to me is is the cruise fares don't necessarily go up that much 
even compared to, you know, a few months ago, but there's still a lot of capacity out there. We know that, I guess, at the macro level, a number of ships have been have been put out to pasture, so to speak, probably not the right word to really, you know, go to the scrapyard. But we're also seeing, you know, bigger ships being added to fleets. Royal Caribbean, I, I think that's one of your favorites, has been really touting this brand new ship, the Icon of the Seas. But they just most recently, I think the Wonder of the Seas uh, is a fairly new addition to the fleet as well. Yeah. And, you know, the ships like the Wonder of the Seas, you know, they originally meant to sail in places like China. Uh, in Asia. And what you're finding is a lot of these ships that would normally or were originally bought with the intention of serving that market, that market's gone. There's pretty much very little, if any, uh, cruising in Asia right now. They're all sailing the Caribbean. So that's a lot of excess capacity or capacity that wasn't originally planned for that is suddenly on the market. And, you know, people are grabbing it up. You know, people are booking and the cruise companies are more than happy to to sell you a nice cruise in the Caribbean uh, this winter. Yeah, and having been on a couple of cruises myself, uh, one of which uh, was actually a ship, which we'll talk about a little bit later, also geared toward the Asian market after its most recent refit. It's a different experience. It's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit of an interesting, you know, eye into a little bit of, you know, a different culture as far as kind of how the casinos are oriented, that sort of thing. So, so it's not just, you know, hey, you just get this very American experience. There are some you know, little niche things that kind of at least jumped out to me. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about the cruising experience. We commonly spend a lot of time focusing on flights, right? Because for us, it's not just the destination that's the, you know, the main event, so to speak. It's the journey as well. Yeah. You know, I think there's kind of a mind shift you have to make, a mind shift, I should say, that you have to make when you adopt cruising as as something that you want to do. I'll give a great example. You know, I have a really close friend of mine who actually it's just about one year now, the anniversary of when they first went on a cruise ever. They had been, in in fact, extremely anti-cruise. And I managed to convince them. I was like, look, it's, you know, once in a lifetime, we're going to have empty ships. We're going to have cheap prices. You know, let's try a cruise. Let's try a short one. So December of 2021, we were on Freedom of the Seas uh, with my friend. And, you know, I think that they had always been anti-cruise because, again, they were focused on the ports. They were like, why would I want to go on a cruise when, you know, the the ship's only going to be in port for like eight hours and it doesn't give me any time to see stuff in, you know, that part of the world. And, you know, it's going to be crowded. There are going to be like, you know, thousands of people that I'm sharing my vacation with. And you have to change some of your, your mindset because, you know, if you make it all about the destination and not about the journey, you're missing out because, Part of what I think makes cruising a value proposition is all the things that are included in the journey. You know, you you get, you know, all your food, you get all your entertainment, all of it's included. You only have to unpack once. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, the service levels on the boat remain very high. I mean, I can't imagine the last hotel that I stayed in where they were doing a really good job of doing twice daily housekeeping. That's standard on most cruises. And also, you know, the restaurants that I've stayed at where, or the restaurants that I've frequented where, you know, multi-course dinner, I mean, that's a pretty expensive bill. Whereas, you know, multi-course dinner in the main dining room on a cruise is, is pretty much standard. Like you do that all the time. So, And not only that, but there's also a focus on service. Yes. You, you know, you arrive at your table, you know, the first day it's a welcome. It's, you know, help me to understand you. A little bit, you know, help me to understand how I can make this experience great. By day two, they understand you and they anticipate. And by day three, 
you're like a regular. You're going to Cheers for dinner. But, you know, as you said, it's a three-course, multi-course meal. And now you've got the familiarity with the waiter and you've got just that level of comfort. So it just kind of, at least in my perspective, it changes that game, right? You know, yeah, if you go to Florence or you go to Rome, you're not going to go to the same restaurant every night. But, you know, there's still that opportunity where they, they do change up the menu. You've got the opportunity to try so many different things. It really does kind of give you a little bit more of that kind of club experience that you'd probably be hard pressed to find without a lot of research, a lot of additional, you, a you lot know, of money. Work. And, <laughs> a and lot money. of funds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you get a lot of that on the ship. And we've only talked about the food. Entertainment's a big deal. I think, at least based on the, the stuff we've talked about offline, entertainment's a big deal of the experience for you. I agree. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So, you know, you know, one of the points I'm going to make is, you know, I think a lot of the kind of arguments against cruising that I might have even mentioned earlier was, you know, you're having you know, a vacation with thousands of other people. Well, the great part of having a vacation with thousands of other people is there's a certain economy of scale that these companies can do to put on like Broadway productions and ice shows and aqua shows and all kinds of singers and live musicians and trivia games and uh, quizzes and all kinds of different activities, you know, which, you know, I think I know I've come to really enjoy. And that's really part of, again, part of why the journey is kind of the focus, not so much the destination uh, in a cruise vacation. So, Tom, can you give us an example of some of the entertainment experiences, you, you know, some of the shows? I, I know that Royal Caribbean has an ice skating rink that they do an ice show on. I think I think some of their larger ships might have an aqua or, or some sort of water show. And then just about every ship has, a, you know, a main stage, so to speak. What are some of the, you know, really entertaining entertainment experiences that you've had over the past year? So probably the notable ones are definitely the Broadway musicals, you know, the ones that, that, you know, they have on actually Broadway or, you know, on the West End Theater. I know for Royal Caribbean, most of their, not all, but quite a few of their Oasis class ships, which are the largest ships in the world uh, currently. A lot of them have uh, Broadway shows. So I know, uh, for instance, Allure of the Seas has Mamma Mia, which is, a you know, an excellent musical with the music of ABBA. You know, I'm about to take a cruise, actually, literally in three days on Symphony of the Seas. They have Hairspray, which is another musical I know many people have heard of. Oasis of the Seas has Cats, I believe, trying to remember what other ships have. Another, I think, Harmony of the Seas has Grease, which is another musical. But yeah, I think it's you're you're going to see pretty high production value Broadway musicals on these ships, and then the other kind of unique aspect of Oasis class ships are in the very back of the ship. There's usually a large swimming pool, basically a performance pool, that's part of a theater where they do acrobatic diving, they do lots of other interesting things to create basically a an aqua theater show for you. That's another thing that is unique to Royal Caribbean and specifically the Oasis class ships. And then a lot of Royal Caribbean ships, I would say the majority, have um, ice skating rinks. And in fact, I think Royal Caribbean is like the number one employer of like Olympic skaters. That's where a lot of them do after they, uh, you know, they're done competing in the Olympics. They go work for Royal Caribbean and do these uh, very, you know, nice production ice shows. There you go. For any folks that uh, have aspiring ice skating careers, you've got a retirement plan. So, Tom, we've talked about a lot of the good things. What are some of the downsides to cruising? Just just so we try to be a little bit fair and balanced here on uh, on the overall experience. You know, I will say there are a couple downsides. I mean, especially now with, again, cruising coming back with a vengeance, you know, you are dealing with 100% full ships. So, 
you know, that means, you know, waiting for elevators, you know, having lines, you know, having a buffet with lots and lots of people that you're kind of running into as you're wanting to get the food that you want to eat. You know, so there are some negatives. Unfortunately, the days uh, that we were talking about earlier where, you know, ships were sailing out half empty, you're not going to find that these days. I think they're, they're doing a really good job with their, I guess, their revenue management and getting the boats filled with people. <sighs> I just had to sigh for the... The loss. <laughs> Yes, the loss of that heyday of of that once in a lifetime opportunity. So we've talked, you know, about kind of that macro experience. Let's try to bring it down a couple of levels. So you and I have done a cruise together. You've done a handful of of other cruises, or, or probably a dozen or so, if if I've lost count. I've done one other separate one. Let's talk about the cruise that we did together, the the Baltic cruise back in May, and then after that, let's kind of run through some of the experiences that we've observed on, you know, just kind of across three different cruise lines. Yeah, I think that's a great one to talk about. I mean, that's that was, first of all, an excellent cruise. I mean, I think you did get to experience some of that emptiness, you know, again, that once in a lifetime experience of, of having a ship that was, in, I think in this case, it was even less than half full. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was maybe 40%. Yep. Yep. And the the benefit of that, obviously, is we got all kinds of upgrades, including a paid upgrade. So just to let everybody know, you know, we had booked these originally as interior rooms, you know, on this, uh, the Voyager of the Seas, uh, sailing from Copenhagen. And you were able to uh, actually sail in a grand suite, if I'm not mistaken. It was a little bit humorous because the uh, grand suite was actually bigger than the hotel room that we had for the night before cruising. So we actually upgraded uh, when we got on board, which is uh, pretty humorous when you think about you know the size of hotel rooms and the that size is of, not standard of, of ship cabins. Yeah, just again, just to be upfront, you know, you know, ship cabins, you know, on average are like around two hundred square feet, so they're very tiny. Um, now, mind you, they do do a great job of engineering, you know, space, you know, the storage areas and the closets and everything is kind of optimized uh, to perfection, but uh, it, it's usually not a very uh, big room or spacious. And you, my friend, had an extremely spacious room. Yeah, it was at least the size of two staterooms, maybe three. But you guys weren't too shabby either, as I no, recall. No, we weren't. You know, again, we were ex- originally expecting interior cabins, but uh, instead we got aft-facing balcony cabins. Uh, again, no charge, completely free, didn't cost us a thing. They just upgraded us because I guess they just saw that, you know, we had, we were repeat customers and they had the space and they were like, you know what, we stick these guys in this crappy room, you know, we can, and I, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't say crappy because actually, I actually enjoy interior rooms generally. I find that they're, I don't have a problem sailing in them at all, but it was nice getting a, an aft balcony, which is actually even a more upgraded than normal regular balcony because you have a, this really, really large balcony space uh, because they've got all that space at the rear of the ship. So what else do we want to cover on the Voyager of the Seas? I had alluded to it earlier. The Voyager of the Seas had been retrofitted probably a year or two, or as I recall, it was sometime during the pandemic. It was supposed to head off to Asia. I think that's where it normally is stationed. Like It had been in Asia pretty much for several years of the past decade, I think. It it actually didn't sail North America, I think, uh, until this year. I think it had been out of, out of this hemisphere uh, probably for at least half a decade. Wow. So, but needless to say, the ship was really oriented toward the Asian market. Yeah. I mean, you could really tell by it mostly from the fact that some of the signs had uh, Chinese written on them and the casino in particular, you you could definitely tell that it was 
designed for uh, the Asian market. They had like a high roller room. They had a lot of Baccarat. They had some weird dice games that I'd never seen, some slot machines that I'd never seen before. And a lot of that was, again, catering to that particular gambling market. And for those dice folks, there was not a single craps table. Other cruise ships. Or video poker. Video poker as well. Yeah. Other ships, I generally see at least one, usually only one craps table, not a single craps table on the Voyager of the Seas. You know, we did attend one of the uh, ice shows. I thought the ice show was particularly good. I can't remember the specific theme, but it, you know, even for a smaller ship with not that many people, they still put on a very, very solid show. By the way, I think you're having to say smaller ship, but, you know, to put it in perspective, you know, the Voyager of the Seas was the largest ship in the world when it was introduced around 2000. So it's still a ship that accommodates about uh, nearly, I think, 3,000 passengers when fully booked. But it's small now. (laughs) (laughs) Mind you, yes, it is half the size of the brand, the newest uh, Oasis type class ships, but you know, it's still a pretty nice ship. I mean, it's got like a promenade, you know, down the middle where, you know, all the shops and, the, and some of the restaurants are located and it has the ice skating rink. It has a theater. It has rock climbing wall and surfing simulator and water slides and all these things, which we didn't use because of course it was in Europe and it was cold. Although the weather in general was actually pretty nice overall. It was, yeah. And just to round out that particular cruise, started in Copenhagen, had uh, an overnight in Stockholm, had a uh, just under eight hours in Tallinn, Estonia. And then I think we had a, a similar amount of time in Finland, uh, Helsinki, Finland. And then it was a, a sea day on the way back. Overall, really great experience. Uh, you, you know, a steal of a deal for the price. And you get to four countries, you get a really just a solid view. Uh, the thing about, I thought, and I haven't done too many, uh, this was the only, or this was only one of two European cruises, but I, I, two data points is enough. I think, to be able to say that when you do cruising in Europe, at least Northern Europe, Scandinavia, et cetera, it's not like you get a different experience of the town that you're visiting because, you know, there's a lot of pop-up shops or pop-up because, you know, suddenly, hey, there's a cruise ship, let's let's do something. They sort of go on their, you know, go about their way of life and you just happen to pull up to a port. And we had a couple of experiences where here we are at, you know, 9 a.m. and nothing's open. You know, maybe not the greatest experience, but it's a stark difference to some of the Caribbean cruises where, you know, literally a port is primarily just, you know, lives and dies by when the cruise ship comes in and out and departs. I think you're basically saying that it's not a big deal that there's a cruise ship and that that just pulled up to Stockholm or Helsinki. They they could really care less. <laughs> yeah, but but it means that you get a little bit more of an authentic experience. That's fair. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think one of the problems that I always had with cruises is I felt like it was just such a manufactured experience. You don't get that manufactured experience. You get that more authentic experience, at least in Northern Europe. I would Europe. agree. Yeah, I think Europe, you'd get more of that genuine experience when you, when you have European ports. The other thing I would tell you about this particular cruise is, you know, this itinerary originally included a stop in St. Petersburg. And I think that's one another reason why this boat was so empty was because a lot of people canceled. You know, uh, St. Petersburg in Russia was one of the, you know, highlights of this particular cruise. And obviously, with that no longer being in the um, schedule, a lot of people decided, you know, it's not worth it for me to fly over there and take this uh, take this vacation. 
That's so true. St. Petersburg, it's funny, the other cruise that I had done, I'd done one on Carnival. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. We had the same thing. Ours was Norwegian, was supposed to be Norwegian as the itinerary stayed, but before and after were both St. Petersburg and there were multi-week cruisers that were very, very unhappy with the itinerary change. This was the centerpiece for their, their summer and they've lost out on that because you know of obviously political tensions. I will say, you know, I would not miss, or I would definitely take this cruise again, even without St. Petersburg. You know, I was on another cruise this year and the captains were taking questions and one of the cruisers asked the captain what was his favorite sailing. And he, he would say Baltic. And one of the reasons he would say that is he really, really enjoys the portion of the cruise where you're leaving Stockholm and you're kind of sailing through that narrow channel with all these beautiful Scandinavian homes on hillsides and forested, you know, hill uh, cliffs and things like that. And if you recall, I think we were dining in the dining room and we're watching, the, you know, as we sail by through these narrow channels uh, in Sweden. And it's, it is gorgeous, especially during sunset. It, it truly is. But let's pivot back to the other side of the world. Um, you had also had the opportunity to take a Norwegian cruise line ship. I think you left from Canada and you got to see some of Alaska. Well, actually, actually, a round trip from um, from Seattle, but yeah, it was actually my first Norwegian Seattle, Vancouver. It's uh, it's all the yeah, same. They're so close. Pacific Northwest, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, it was my first Norwegian cruise line cruise. I was uh, fortunate enough to kind of tag along with a good friend of mine who had gotten a, a free Norwegian cruise from uh, the Cosmopolitan Land Casino. So, and so I was able to kind of uh, pay a little bit extra to be the the third wheel in in this room and. Yeah, no, it was it was very interesting. It was on Norwegian Bliss. I'm extremely happy that we were able to upgrade our cabin on this cruise as well. We originally had an interior cabin with the three of us, and I looked at the floor plan, and I'll tell you one of the first things I'll say about some of these Norwegian ships is their interior cabins are extremely small. I looked at the floor plan. There's not even a sofa. There's there's you get a chair, and I don't know how there were going to be three of us in this cabin. So I was I was extremely excited when. We did, in fact, for not a nominal fee, it was still, I think, several hundred dollars, we were able to um, upgrade to a spa balcony cabin, and uh, that was a much more comfortable way to cruise that week. I can only imagine the spa approach. What made that different? Almost nothing. I think it was a club spa balcony. We got ropes. You got ropes. Hey, hey. We got ropes. I'd imagine that would be pretty comfortable to go back and forth to the pool with when you're up in Alaska. Uh, yeah, which would be never... <laughs> <laughs> it does include a larger room. So, you know, the, the balcony that you get is is kind of on one of the decks where they've got a little bit more deck space for the balcony. So the balcony is a little bit more, a little bit larger and the bathroom is significantly larger. But other than that, the actual benefits of that are pretty small. So we spent a fair amount of time talking about Caribbean, you know, entertainment and the dining experience. Tell us what you thought about the Norwegian cruise line experience, you know, in that vein. Yeah, you know, I have quite a few thoughts about that. You know, actually, I think Norwegian does an excellent job with entertainment. They actually had two musicals on the seven-night cruise. They had the Jersey Boys musical, and they had a newer musical called Six, which was about – it was kind of a like a pop musical about the six wives of Henry VIII. And yeah, they did other shows. Uh, they had, you know, a Beatles tribute band that was uh, playing nightly. They had all kinds of different things. I think they did a great job with entertainment. I think they also, uh, the food quality and the buffet was really, really good. Uh, I would say much better actually than, than Royal Caribbean. And also their public spaces and the decor, I think this was a fairly new ship. 
I think their standard is a little bit higher, a little bit more luxurious actually than um, Royal Caribbean. So I would definitely give them some credit for all of those things. That being said, it's not always, the grass is not always greener on everything. You know, I will say that I think Royal Caribbean does a much better job in the main dining room. I think their service is a lot better at Royal Caribbean. I think that they're also, their processes seem a lot better, like their communications and their, you know, their, the app, the Royal Caribbean app, for instance, works better. Uh, I think just in general, the operations part, I think Royal Caribbean seems to be a little bit better at doing certain things. Like, for instance, disembarking the ship, you know, I thought it was very chaotic disembarking the Norwegian Bliss uh, in Seattle. And this is a ship that's significantly smaller than an Oasis class ship. And, you know, Royal Caribbean generally is able to disembark an Oasis class ship uh, very orderly and has a lot of, you know, people and staff know what they're doing when they try to get, you know, six, seven thousand people off a a boat in a two hour period. You know, that's an experience that I also observed on Carnival. So not to switch between hemispheres just about, but we had done this Norwegian fjord cruise on Carnival Pride. Uh, We had gotten it free as part of this Carnival match, which we'll talk about toward the end of the show. And it really felt like any of those ports that we got at and as, uh, probably to a lesser extent disembarkation and embarkation, but every port we came to going ashore was almost like they didn't anticipate people would actually want to go ashore via, you know, that lower deck of the ship. They had, you know, canvas slides that sort of, you know, direct you a particular way. If people wanted to come on, they had to stop the people that were coming off because they only had had one gangway. They only had one security thing to go through the metal detector. It was as if they wow, didn't that is, think that anybody wanted to get off the ship. Yeah. And it, it was a really, really surprising experience, at, at least from, from my perspective. And very similar to your experience with Norwegian, Carnival was not very good at communicating, you know, the new ports and everything. They didn't, they do nothing with paper or printouts. They do everything in the app. And even in the app, they can't tell you, you know, they don't tell you the level of detail, you know, as far as what pier you're coming into, any of that information was very poorly communicated. So it was sort of a, you know, choose your own adventure if you wanted to be one of the first ones off the, off, off the ship. And it didn't always work out terribly well. You know, I can I can only imagine that part of this is because, you know, Royal Caribbean really has prided themselves on having the largest ships in the world. And they pretty much have kept that record for decades now. I can only imagine that holding that title means you have to spend a lot of time on your processes and your people to make sure that everything runs smooth because it doesn't take much. It takes very little to have the entire process or your, you know, the disembarkation process or the process of, you know, going into port. It doesn't take much for, you know, a, that process to get uh, completely derailed, uh, especially when you're talking about the number of people that, that are on some of these ships, you know, 7,000 people, you know, it's, it's a lot of mouths to feed. It's a lot of people just to, you know, walk through a doorway. And so you have to have all that stuff figured out. Yeah. So let's go back to that people thing. Let's look at that Norwegian cruise just once more. Norwegian does freestyle dining, but you can also reserve dining. Which option did you choose? And did you observe, you know, one being superior to another? You know, so I would say, again, there are some real advantages to freestyle dining. You know, you you have that flexibility. And the other thing is, I think Norwegian had a lot of more, I think, in general venues. So there were a lot of places. There were a lot of places at night, too, to get, you know, kind of if you wanted a meal, if you wanted to eat kind of outside the normal hours, like 11 p.m. or, you know, three in the morning or something. They had a lot of options for you and their buffet stayed open a lot later. I think Royal Caribbean, for instance, is much more, you know, rigid 
they do have freestyle dining or they have, you know, the, what they call my time dining, which is the same thing, but I generally dislike it. You know, I prefer having a, a standard meal time. Again, uh, I like that for a couple of reasons, which is, you know, I, I like having uh, a waiter that gets to know you. And again, I think you mentioned at the beginning of this uh, podcast about, you know, kind of that club experience where you can walk in, you know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, welcome back. And, you know, you, you, they, they get to know what kind of drink you like and how you wa- like your food and all that other stuff. On my Norwegian cruise, we didn't do the standard time of dining because you can't, you know, you, I guess you could just reserve the main dining room every night at the same time, but you, you wouldn't necessarily have the same wait staff. And I think that kind of showed because the service was not th- not honestly that great. And I actually thought the food was not that great either. Usually in the main dining room, you know, on a seven night cruise, uh, most cruise lines will have like, let's say a lobster night or something where they're doing something a little special from a food perspective, just to kind of say, hey, thank you for cruising with us. There was nothing of the sort on Norwegian. Wow. That's disappointing. I mean, we had an interesting experience when we did it. Uh, we did that cruise. Oh gosh. I want to say it was 2018. Might've been 2018. Might've been Yeah, I think 2018. We observed that the folks that had the freestyle were always standing in lines, but I felt like we had a little bit more consistency with the wait staff. I mean, we also, the way Norwegian sort of sells their cruises, at least we paid, we didn't get a freebie. They really package it, right? So like they they throw in, you know, one or two nights of specialty dining. They might throw in a drink package. So you get a lot of the stuff that that are add-ons on, let's say, a Carnival or a Royal Caribbean, just as part of the package booking. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, that that is a difference in in the the style or kind of the business plan for Norwegian. They, I think, they're more likely to sell you a, a more inclusive vacation and not nickel and dime you on as many things. Although there's still plenty of opportunity for them to, you know, have you buy a bingo card or a scratch off or you know upgrade this or upgrade that. But you know, I think in general their strategy is try to sell some of the packages ahead of time where Royal Caribbean is is much more about you going in and picking and choosing what you want a la carte. Yeah. So let's pivot here. We've talked about the experience, but there are a couple other benefits here that that I think we should talk about, you know, angles if you will, right? So one of the things on board that I know a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners have, that have cruised probably have taken advantage of, have enjoyed is the ability to manufacture spend on a cruise. You know, I don't know. I don't know if anybody, if everyone has taken this advantage of this because, you know, I think it's been there for a long time, but I don't know. A lot of people haven't talked about it, to be completely honest. You know, I always make this assumption that folks are like kind of leaning forward on some of this stuff and kind of don't always broadcast. So maybe folks don't do this, but walk us through the manufactured spending opportunities on a cruise. Well, again, a lot of these are related to the fact that most of these cruises have casinos. And, you know, this is a very cashless kind of uh, environment, you know, on a cruise, you know, that people are just walking around with their, their C card, you know, which, you know, is both your, your card to get into your room, but also a charge card that's linked to a credit card when you check in. And so one of the things that they let you do on many cruises is charge chips to your room or charge slot play to your room. So you simply stick your card into the machine and you can go ahead and charge $300, you know, $500, whatever to your room account. And of course, that will ultimately get charged to your credit card, um, which in this case, I would recommend a a Chase Sapphire Reserve, or uh, I know it's no longer available, but a City Prestige, because these are both cards that will have some kind of a a travel bonus uh, multiplier for cruise spend. And and I can, in fact, uh, confirm, at least on the City Prestige side, uh, I actually don't have a Chase Sapphire Reserve, but that's a story for another day. 
I can say that the Chase Sapphire Reserve got the three X. Oh, okay, great. So, yeah, this is there's at least a three X opportunity for actually not too much work. You know, you just literally go in and go ahead and and I would recommend that you do a little bit of playing. I mean, I think that what you will find is if you just went in, charged five hundred dollars to your room, uh, printed out the ticket, went to the cashier. You could absolutely do that. I just don't think you would be able to do it a second time. Yeah, it, I did that on the Royal Caribbean cruise that we were on, and there was a collection of issues. One, the credit card wasn't perfectly on the account, so make sure that the credit card's on the account right. And then second, I was told that I had to do a certain amount of play before they let me you know, pull more money from the credit card. Yeah, a lot of that's kind of arbitrary. I don't, I haven't seen a particular, and by the way, this also is different depending on the cruise line. You know, also depending on the cruise line, there may be some additional charges. I know for Royal Caribbean, I think if you went to the slot machines and did this right now, there would be no additional charge. If you went to the tables and you asked for kind of a, a to, to basically buy chips using your room account, they would charge you, I think, either 5% or perhaps 3%. But in any case, those charges can be waived if you become a, kind of a higher level member of their uh, casino loyalty program. Uh, they will waive those fees. And on that carnival is the same way. So it's three percent at the table, but uh, if you, but but the the angle that you can do is you do it at the slot machine, and then if you really wanted to play some at the tables, you just you know get the voucher out of the slot machine, go to the go to the cashier, get your cash, and then you go to the tables. The other interesting manufactured spending aspect to this is you know um, even before you get on the, the cruise, in some cases you can kind of buy onboard credit you know through these various like websites that allow you to purchase drink packages and dining and, and all, all kinds of other add-ons. I've done this to trigger some Amex offers, so I, I, I had the added bonus of getting on, for instance, on that Norwegian cruise. Um, I went ahead and, and added um, uh, basically onboard credit of about you know a thousand dollars, triggering a, a Amex offer for like two fifty off of a one thousand dollar purchase. I was not a hundred percent sure that that I would be able to then cash this onboard credit out at the casino, but. Fortunately, I was able to. I guess my other, my backup plan was uh, we were going to take a couple of uh, shore excursions on helicopters uh, in Alaska. <laughs> uh, but fortunately, we didn't have to do that. I was able to cash that out and I, and I got the Amex offer triggered as well. So it was quite the win-win-win situation. Have you tried that on Royal Caribbean? Yes, I've tried it. It does not work. <laughs> so, And usually the option to purchase casino chips is not usually available to people who have, are kind of casino customers. Uh, you know, they're, they're very good about uh, tailoring their online portal to customers. So I remember early on sailing with Royal Caribbean, I saw an option to be able to purchase some casino chips ahead of time. That is not available to me anymore. <laughs> I should see whether it's uh, available to me, although I'm starting to get those casino offers now. <laughs> Just yeah. not nearly as lucrative as you get. Yeah, it might be in the system by now. I know some other, I know I've taken a Holland America cruise and that was another kind of pre-board type of, or before you board kind of spending option where you could buy casino chips. And it was exactly the same thing. I basically got a little slip in my room on my Holland America cruise that said, oh, you've got, you know, here's a voucher for a thousand dollars. I went down to the cashier and they just literally just cashed me out a thousand dollars i didn't even have to do it at the the table they just like oh exchange this for money they literally gave me you know hundred dollar bills not even chips they didn't even it was weird (laughs) you can't beat that okay so we've talked about the manufactured spending aspect of the casino programs but we haven't actually talked about the casino programs Yes. And, you know, I mean, if you're kind of a, you know, person who likes gambling, like myself, unfortunately. <laughs> Degenerate. I know. I'm, 
hopefully I, I'm not a degenerate gambler, but I'm definitely a gambler. This has actually been, I think, a, a very important aspect, which, again, I, I know that this information is out there, but I don't know a lot of people are talking about it. But the casino programs that these cruise lines have are really important, I think. I mean, for, you know, I think Trevor alluded to the fact that I've, I've spent more than two months at sea this year. And the reason I've been able to do that is because I've basically gotten dozens of free cruise offers from the loyalty program, the casino loyalty program. And you really don't have to gamble that much for them to start offering you stuff. Do you happen to remember that threshold? Yeah. So it's 2,500 points for their Club Royale program for Royal Caribbean. So we're going to talk mainly Royal Caribbean because that's the program that I, I know the best. And I have kind of the first level of elite membership in the casino program, which is called Prime. And to get that, you you basically have to earn 2,500 casino points. You earn that by spending $5 of a coin in on a... Uh, slot machines. You have to wager $5 or $10 for one point in video poker. So video poker has much better odds, which is why you're incentivized to do that. You could also do it through table games like blackjack, but it is, uh, you have to be such a high roller. I don't really even bother really. I mean, I probably only got a few hundred points out of spending hours at a blackjack table. So if you want to do it at blackjack, you better be, have a really big, you know, roll of money, or I guess maybe be really lucky. I don't know. I mean, I think that's probably consistent with the casinos. Neither of us are experts with the Vegas casinos, but it seems to be that that the coin-in on slots is a much more consistent approach. It definitely takes some social engineering, which I suppose many in the in the Milan Point community is, are is probably pretty good at, probably better than me. But even that, your miles will really vary. Whereas I think it's pretty black and white when it comes to coin into the slots. Yeah, I think I think people in the miles and points <coughs> community would like the fact that the program has some actual defined terms, <laughs> you know, because then you can actually know where you stand. You know, I, I think, and I think the Royal Caribbean program, I think, is probably better than let's say Norwegian and some of the other cruise lines in terms of being able to get stuff at that like low level, low stakes kind of gambler. Because you know, I do gamble quite a bit, but you know, I'm not losing tens of thousands of dollars. You know, I will wager, you know, I'll have a bankroll of like maybe a thousand dollars or something like that. And I'd be willing to lose it. But, you know, many times I don't have to. Uh, sometimes I walk off with more money. I mean, I wouldn't say that happens all the time, but, you know, it does happen. It's it it's a freak event, but it does happen. And I think if you are willing to wager the money a cruise would have cost, I think the chances are you would more than likely see several cruises offers come your way where you can get much more value than uh, maybe the money that you possibly could have lost from uh, casino losses. Yeah. So I think from my experiences, I think I did somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000 of money actually pulled out via that MS technique. I probably gambled probably more than that because I obviously didn't lose a lot and you just keep putting more in. You know, you, you effectively get multiple use out of the same, you know, $100 if you keep winning on uh, on some of these slots. So I think I probably got, I'd have to go back to check, but I think I had 600 or 800 points on Royal Caribbean and they send me free interior cabins, not the Oasis class ships. I get it more on the smaller ones, like the Freedom. I say smaller. They're still pretty big. (laughs) They are. And then I had the same experience with Carnival. I get the occasional discounted deal in North America or in Europe, but gosh, they want to give me like five free cruises in a lot in Australia. I don't understand <laughs> it, but gosh, any cruise I could walk up and I could probably have a balcony. 
<laughs> but I suspect that's, you know, that's more a fact of just they've got one or two ships over there and they just can't fill them. Yeah, I think I think Australia is a challenging market. You know, I think, again, you have a lot of people in the past, you know, maybe there'd be like some Asian people that would have uh, come in from those other markets that are over there in the Pacific. That people aren't traveling just yet still. I think that there are people that are, are still kind of constrained in their travel patterns, especially the Asian region. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've also seen Singapore starting to loosen up and, and they have another ship there. I'm trying to think. I think it's a Royal Caribbean ship that's in yeah, I think uh, Spectrum of the Seas is over there right now, but it's, it's, I think, the only one over there. Uh, I think they just got the one. And they, they, are, they, they are, are sailing out of Singapore, though. And they started off with one-day sh- uh, one cruises, and I think they've expanded it a little bit. But it's still very dicey, you know, real dicey experience over in Asia. That, that assumes you can even find the award flights to get to Asia comfortably. I think that's, that's part of the problem. That's a topic for another time, another yeah. conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Tom, we've talked about Carnival. We've talked about Royal Caribbean. Did you have an experience with Norwegian relative to their casino program? You know, I, I did and I did gamble some on that Norwegian ship. Definitely. I think I lost a few hundred bucks, you know, unfortunately, but no, actually, no, I take it back. I think I actually left that cruise with more money than I started with, to be completely honest. But in any case, I didn't get anything from Norwegian <laughs> because Norwegian in their program and even in, you can look at their terms and, and statements. I mean, the amount of gambling that you need to do, the amount of points you need to earn, the amount of coin in that you have to do in the slot machine. They are really looking for your high dollar, you know, high profitability customer, and I'm not one of them. So that's clearly why they haven't offered me anything for the amount of gambling that I did. And I did some, but you know, I I was also not a. I did not do thousands of dollars of coin in. You know, I did maybe you know a few, maybe a few thousand, but like not to the level that you would need to. And I think you need to be a real gambler. You know, doing like max bet. You know, doing being being willing to spend. You know. $10-$15 a spin on the slot machine for several hours a day if you, if you want to get free stuff I think from Norwegian. I think that's just the way they've structured their program. So what you're saying is Norwegian Cruise Lines is full of whalers I, looking for <laughs> whales. I think they well uh, I don't know about your casino definition of a whale. I mean I think I think you're I mean they're not looking for all millionaires but you know they are looking for people with more action than than I am and I think Carnival and Royal, because of the way they're structured and how, you know, basically what they're offering for free, you know, they, I guess they are able to offer more offers kind of at that lower end. And as a result, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a high stakes player to be able to start getting free stuff. So I don't know, take that, take that information for what, what you will. It's a good place to start, I think, especially, you know, and of course, you know, only do this if, you know, you like gambling. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily do this if you just want to do free cruises, but you know, I think if you enjoy, and a lot of people do, a lot of people like going to the casino and doing a little bit, you know, it might make sense for you to, to even do a little bit more than you're comfortable with just because the threshold to start getting, you know, some rewards is, I think, also even better than what you might even get at land-based casinos, to be completely honest. Well, I mean, a free cruise definitely, you, you know, you're getting wined and dined. You might not be eating at Nobu, but you're certainly getting a great <laughs> experience there. <laughs> yeah, every night isn't Joel Robichon. But you know what? As somebody who also likes to travel to Vegas and, and get some comp rooms now and again, it's a lot cheaper to have, you know, your room and your entertainment and your food all included uh, versus Vegas, where, you know, once they got you, you, know, you might get some stuff back, you know, and some food credit, food and beverage credit. But, you know, Vegas is not cheap. You know, the restaurants there, you're going to spend a fair amount of money. 
Hey, so we've talked, you know, about how you get the the free cruises just based on, you know, the different cruise lines, casino spend or casino gambling, I should say. What are some other opportunities for the gamblers among us to get those free or, or highly discounted cruises? Well, I think the most publicized one is obviously the casino, the Carnival Cruise Lines Fun Match, you know, which is, you know, something where, you know, many of us who have, you know, Hyatt status, for instance, and have MGM Gold or Caesars Diamond, you know, through all the various different, you know, ways that you could acquire those statuses, you know, you can submit those to Carnival and they'll very quickly give you a free cruise offer in most cases. Yeah. So the Carnival Fun Match is actually something I did and they actually gave us a balcony cabin. And a thousand dollar onboard credit. I was really impressed, and all it took was having Hyatt status. <laughs> yep, I was not as better. What is it? They were not as generous for me for whatever reason. I did get a free interior room and some free play, but uh, I haven't made use of mine yet. I, I probably will at some point, but I'm not in a in a in a big rush. I'm surprised. So what I did was, I had parlayed my MGM status to Caesar's Diamond, and then I used the Caesar's Diamond to match to the carnival fun match. And then I, I got, I was able to get that, uh, that offer. And the first offer is not as good as the following offers that they send. So don't take the first thing they send you. It takes like two to four weeks for, for you to get the balcony offer. Yeah. Well, I'm still waiting for my balcony offer. <laughs> I did submit the same. I, I submitted MGM gold and Caesar's diamond as well, but you know, I don't know if something's changed or, you know, if I'm in their system in some way and uh, who knows, you know, a lot of the stuff is still, uh, you know, black magic and, uh, you know, there, se- secret, secret sauce. There was probably a month where there was at least two to five or more people that I knew on a carnival ship in Europe every single week. So <laughs> I mean, with that small, you know, that small community to see that many people that had leveraged this deal, I wouldn't be surprised if they might have toned it down a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, part of it also, you know, again, goes back to the fact that, you know, when you booked that, that was at the time that cruising was not back quite to the level it is now. I think they were uh, able to be a lot more generous with, you know, ships that were still only sailing 60% capacity. I think now that the ships are back to 100% capacity, uh, yeah, I think the casino offers are getting a little less generous. So there's another one that's not necessarily specific to any cruise line. I think you turned me on to this called Eurcompt. You are you are comped. You are comp.com. So they're like a virtual casino host. And so they're kind of like a marketing firm. You know, they're they're out there trying to get customers with casinos and cruise lines that, you know, don't currently have you as a customer. So, you know, you're able to kind of parlay your existing offers from either the land casinos or from, you know, other cruise lines and translate them to offers on cruise lines that you haven't frequented yet. I like how you did that with parlay, by the way. (laughs) Okay. I guess that is a gambling term. (laughs) Yeah, but UrComp is definitely worth, uh, you know, a look at. I know uh, several people in the Miles and Points community have taken, you know, their first Carnival Fun Match or, you know, some of these other statuses and they've they've sent it to UrComp and then they've gotten free cruises on Virgin Voyages, which is a relatively new cruise line that's looking for new, new customers. And they also have a casino program. You know, and same with Celebrity and some of these other cruise lines, which, you know, honestly, to to get a free cruise offer just by gambling the casino, I think it's going to be tough. You know, so I think, you know, having a service of this virtual casino host service called URComp, you know, they'll basically take a look at your offer, try to kind of size you up 
figure out where you belong and start giving you offers from some of these different other cruise lines and casinos. One more like the uh, Carnival, there's the MSC Elite Status Match. I don't know that I've seen a lot of data points recently, but I did see a fair amount of interest over the summer. Yeah. So MSC is a weird one. You know, MSC Mediterranean Shipping Company is an Italian cruise line and they're really looking to break into the U.S. market there, you know, sending more and more ships to the U.S. ports. They're definitely wanting to compete with Carnival and Royal Caribbean and all the others. But they're very unique in that they will let you match your Hyatt status, for instance, to their highest level of elite status within the cruise line. And they're probably the only ones that have a match like this. Most of the other cruise lines, Royal Caribbean included, getting elite status is pretty much only gotten. And when we're talking elite status, I'm talking not the casino elite, but you know the actual cruise line elite status. You only get that usually by actually sailing. And in many cases, it's how many days you've sailed on that cruise line. So that's actually a really great segue for the next one. Didn't want to cover every single cruise line's elite status, but you've got a lot of experience with Royal Caribbean's crown and anchor. Give us just a real quick, you know, 90 second snapshot of how that program works and kind of the benefits as you put up uh, more and more days at sea. Yeah. So it's pretty basic, you know, just one day at sea is one point. And, you know, really there's different levels, you know, there's, uh, I think you start out as like a gold and then you become a, a platinum and then an emerald. And then really it's not until you become a diamond member. And I believe that's at 80 points where it starts getting interesting. And uh, that's when they start offering you things like access to the diamond lounge and that you can get some free drinks. In fact, you know, right now they kind of change things post pandemic where as a diamond member, which I'm fortunately now I am, you know, after having been at sea for so many months this year, you can actually get four drinks every day at pretty much any venue on the ship which is an immense benefit. I mean, that's essentially like having a light uh, beverage package, which, you know, those things cost a lot of money. And uh, and I'm not even that big a drinker, but, I, you know, I think it's great. So do you get the helipad for your giraffe? <laughs> I think you could take your giraffe to the helipad if you wanted to, at least on the the, the boats that have, a, the ships that have a helipad. There you go. And, and and for those that might not not realize that joke, back with Gold Hyatt Gold Passport, the, the precursor to World of Hyatt, Jeff Zidel had shown a video for a bunch of frequent travelers that was, but I'm a diamond. And it was just a fantastic, humorous video of, you know, what diamond members expect. You can probably just Google Hyatt, I'm a diamond, and you'll be able to have a good solid two, three minutes of, of laughter there. We might need a sound bite of that for a future episode of Travel Stories when we talk a little bit about, you know, our, our trip to the, the Dubai Hyatt. Oh, yes, yes. We will absolutely have to do that. Well, but it sounds like, you know, we might be at the end of this podcast, though, because I think we've pretty much hit all the major parts of cruising, which is has really been a pleasure. It truly has been. So just want to say thanks for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed listening. Join us next time on Travel Stories. Until then, we hope your next story is a travel story. Oh, 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 oh